Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 230. In this episode, we talk about what parts of HubSpot do enterprises focus on. So we're going to talk about lifecycle management, lead scoring, user management teams, content partitioning, talking about NPS surveys, attribution reporting, and advanced workflows. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, service, and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Yeah, look, I'm well. And it's interesting, isn't it, this whole move to enterprise or corporates, we should say, so that we don't immediately confuse people thinking we're talking about HubSpot Enterprise. Correct. Which we will be talking about HubSpot Enterprise tier, but for enterprises. Um, but in previous episodes, if you go back three episodes, we're talking about small business, HubSpot small business. And then the last two episodes, we've been talking about what's if you're getting to that mid to large size corporate and you're looking at the pro tools. And tonight, we're really just going to chat about, well, what's if you're in the corporate space, large enterprises, what do they focus on? So we're going to talk about the kind of features that they look at, uh, a good corporate. And surprisingly, when we come to our insight later in the week, often the larger the, the business the less they have in in place, which is kind of funny in a way. But then we're going to relate that to some of the actual HubSpot tools, some of them which do require the enterprise tier. Right. So some of the things we're going to focus on is content partitioning and lifecycle management and surveys. So Craig, let's talk about a lifecycle management. All right. This is kind of funny because as I think most people know, there is a lifecycle stage on contacts and companies. But we'll just think about it in terms of contacts and they go through these stages, subscriber, lead, marketing qualified lead, et cetera, right through to customer. Now, we're not going to go through all of those stages. We're not going to explain that because we've covered that in previous episodes in detail and there's great HubSpot knowledge base. But what we are going to talk about is that quite often small businesses and even mid to large, they don't actually put a lot of effort into setting these stages properly. And the reason often is because if it's a small sales team or small marketing team, there's not a lot of benefit in setting those stages. It's kind of like, oh, we get the leads in, we kind of nurture them anyway, it doesn't matter what stage they're in, and then sales might jump straight onto them and they become a customer or they're not a customer. So it's almost like the, their, their mini mindset of those companies is, oh, the life cycle stage is either customer or not a customer, right? And that's okay, right? Why get too complex if you don't need to? But when you get up into the larger space, this is where life cycle stages become important, isn't it? And I guess has your experience been the same as mine, Ian? It's kind of like many businesses don't look at this until they get into that larger space. Correct, Craig. And I think it's also understanding about the journey people are on and what it means in the system. So in HubSpot, for example, when someone fills out a form, they become a lead automatically, right? And then people go, but why are they not a subscriber? But a subscriber is somebody that would subscribe to get your latest news or your content. And they might not necessarily want to be a lead, so to speak. So I think one of the biggest things is people need to get the language right and everybody needs to be on the same page so people understand what that is. And I think we were talking with your team, Tara, on your team, and she made a really good point is that things mean different things to people. And listeners, so you know that these these lifecycle stages can't be changed in HubSpot. They've already been preset and so we encourage you to use the ones that are there and form a common language around what that is. I think that's right. And so it gets to a point in a company's maturity with HubSpot where they do want to get this granularity about where they are on their journey. 
Did they get become marketing qualified lead? Did they become sales qualified lead? Did they become an opportunity? Well, of course, once you create a deal, they automatically set to opportunity. But the point is, when companies get to that point, we don't want to overwhelm them uh, too early. But then we start saying, right, let's think about the rules or the mindset that you have for each of these stages. And it's about, first of all, documenting that or getting a sense of what these rules are that apply. And then the thing is, once we have those defined, setting up the lifecycle stages is easy because you use workflows. Just use workflows to be triggered based on those criteria to then set the status on contacts. And of course, once that lifecycle stage is set, then that can trigger other kinds of things, workflows, internal notifications, etc. So I guess one thing to be aware is that if you have set up your personas in the system and then uh, you, once you've done that, you, it actually automatically sets up lists and it will set up lists according to the lifecycle stages in the system, doesn't it, Craig? Uh, well, you actually have the option now. It That's used true. to automatically create yes. them and you of course you had all these hundreds of lists. Well, not hundreds, but you know what I mean. But yeah, now they're optional. It can create them at the time of the persona, which is helpful. But the good thing about mentioning persona is that that can feed into particular life cycle Correct. stages. The classic example being a non-fit persona. Yes. You never want to say, say someone's just not a fit at all. You set that persona, non-fit persona. You never want that ending up as being a sales qualified lead or an opportunity going through the sales team. Here's the thing to do with life cycle stages. Make sure you have them documented. Work out what it is, the rules that you want, and then set them up in workflows. Don't try and kind of cobble it together as you go. Work it out on a piece, on of, a paper. piece of paper and then docu- uh, document, and then you can implement with workflows. Really easy. And tip to people is make sure if you are struggling to understand or have the common language around this, do it nicely on a piece of paper, get, it, get someone to design it and stick it on the wall where people can see it so they understand what those life cycle stages are. And the final thing I'll say, I mean, this is a bit of a plug for, for us, but if you want a bit of help with that, listeners, just book a call with Ian or myself or both of us, jump on a call an hour, we'll walk through, we can chat with you. And we're really good at this. We've done this so many times. We know the questions to ask and we'll just draw that out and we can get that defined for you pretty quickly. We can even set up workflows if you need a bit of help in that regard as well. Now, Craig, lead scoring. People get to this part and they go, well, what is it? How do I use that? Right? We always go, where does this fit? And we often find people start to look at lead scoring once they have too many leads that they've got to go through. Then they go, how do I make this better to understand who I need to talk to? Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. And look, the, the first thing to say is don't jump into lead scoring until you've got your lead stages Correct. rules defined. Some people, that's the first thing they say, oh, how do we get lead scoring going? And they're like, oh, hang on, let's actually define what's a good lead for sales and define your sales qualified leads, all those definitions. But then, then you're right. Quite often companies, if they haven't got enough leads coming in, why are you even worrying about lead scoring? Because the sales team are attached basically onto every single lead. But as you said, quite rightly, once you've got a deluge of leads coming in, you don't know which ones to choose. Lead scoring is all about helping you prioritize which leads you action first and also which leads you might come back to uh, later. Maybe they get warmed up later. So yeah, that's lead scoring. It can be quite complex and it's based on behavioral and attribute details to basically assign scores to your contacts and then you can basically order by the highest scores. And listeners, just remember, if you're using HubSpot Marketing Professional, lead scoring is a manual. 
And if you've got an enterprise account, there is predictive lead scoring that uses the AI, I believe, and the machine learning to understand who is a good fit. All right, now onto content partitioning. Now, this is a big part, and this spreads right across hubs and also across different features in the system, doesn't it, Craig? And can be quite confusing. So we're going to start off with where you need to get started, which would be with users and teams, really. Yeah, this is right. This is what underpins it. Content partitioning sounds kind of a bit overwhelming, but really it just replaced the word content partitioning with assigning this particular content or asset to a certain number of users or teams. Now, the tip we want to give is work out your teams. While you can assign assets to individual users, you can do that. And maybe if you've only got a couple, maybe that's okay. But really for larger teams, set up your team structure. Get these teams in place and then you assign the assets to the teams. And the other thing I'll say about content partitioning is that it can be confusing because it's referred to as in different labels throughout the system. So some, sometimes it's called assign users and teams. Other times it's called manage access. Other times it's called, well, assigned, you know, in dashboards, it's Correct. assigned. Yes. So it can be confusing. There's no consistency in, in the naming throughout the system. The other thing I'll say is some of them are still in beta. So lists and workflows, for example, won't appear in most portals as being assignable. And there's also some that just can't be assigned at all, like social channels. You either have access to all social channels or none. none. And so I think that's coming. I think that's on the, the roadmap, but that's a common one we get from clients. How do I assign just this Twitter profile to those users and that other Twitter profile to others? It's not yet possible. So I think content partitions come a long way in the last year or so. There's still some gaps that need to be filled, uh, but really it all comes down to getting your teams in place, getting them um, worked out in like a, a, a team structure, and then assigning content becomes very easy. So we're just going to quickly talk about some of the things that can be partitioned. The first and foremost ones would be contact and company records. The next would be emails. Then we've got landing pages, website pages, and blog posts. The next most common one that might not be aware of is call to actions and forms. And then there's domains and we've got lists and workflows. And this is currently in beta as we record this episode. Now, we do have a great resource, knowledge-based article. So if you want to learn more about it, it's a good place to start. I'm seeing this uh, more and more clients talk about this, actually, and requesting it. So it is becoming much more on people's minds, this idea of really segregating uh, the database out. Uh, contacts and the CRM records, I think you can even do that at the starter level. Yeah, I think you can. Whereas most of the others require enterprise That's right. uh, for, the, for the assigning privileges, yeah. And listeners, what's good about this knowledge-based article, there's a great, um, what do I call it, Craig? It's got the... Matrix. Matrix of what's available where. And it just really helps you understand because it is can be complicated when you first start to get your head around what is going on. All right. So now on to shot four, which is we're going to talk about surveys. And this is one of the great features that gets included from... Uh, service hub professional onwards and we just want to highlight one and it's to do with the net promoter score survey that takes place and most customers are often amazed how a easy it is to set up but b how quickly you can understand 
areas of improvement in your business. And what we have put in um, in the show notes is a screenshot of how it looks. So trying to understand, and for those of you that don't know what an NPS survey is, is the percentage of customers rating their likelihood to recommend your business, product, or service to a friend or colleague. And if they give you a nine out of 10, means that they're a promoter and you get a minus a percentage rating that is six or below, which they call detractors. I think seven and eight is the passive, I believe. But what I like about this is HubSpot just makes it really easy to implement and also makes it really easy to see what to aim for. So they say a good score, I think is 75 and above. I might be wrong, but what this has shown shown us in uh, when we've implemented this for customers is we tend to find people that are unhappy will straight away speak out so that we can actually do something about it. And then you do get people that will that are happy that are happy to also respond and say, "Hey, I love what you guys are doing, or this is going really well." So I think it's a good baseline to start off with, and I would encourage people to put this in place to do it every month or every quarter in your business just to understand what's going on. Yeah, I think this is the sign of maturity in a company. Companies got to a size where they've got their marketing, they've got their sales, and now they're looking at that customer service and getting some benchmarks. NPS survey, of course, the classic. And so when we go into companies and they're talking about NPS, we know they're at a maturity level. And of course, that's when it becomes appropriate for something like Service Pro to go into place. All right, Craig, on to attribution reporting. And we've covered this in... Uh enterprise attribution reporting episodes in 176 and 218. And in a nutshell, attribution reporting allows you to drill down into revenue, which is your deals, to see which channels, sources, campaigns, and content are driving revenue in your business. Yeah, I think this is another example of what we see in the the mature corporates. You don't often see these these kind of questions in the smaller businesses or the the young uh, companies, but once they get to that size, attribution reporting becomes really important. They're making significant investments in, well, their business growth. And so attribution reporting is a key insight to unlock uh, in order to set where budgets go. So this is an area that HubSpot's been working on in quite a detailed manner in the last year, and you're seeing this coming out. Um, It is enterprise only, I think, attribution reporting. And it's just one of those things that, again, show maturity of a, of a company. And listeners, if you want to understand more, there's a great HubSpot Academy lesson about measuring success with attribution reporting that I would encourage you to do. All right, Craig, on to our, one of our favorite. It's advanced workflows. And we've covered workflows so many times on the show, plus it's been a key feature mentioned in the last three episodes. Now, workflows are incredibly powerful because we can take advantage of them in marketing, sales, and service, Craig. And listeners, we're going to highlight some of the top ones that we think you should implement or think of implementing. Yeah, so it'd be interesting. Uh, may, maybe make a little uh, tally as you go along. How many of these have you put in place in your business? And I've, I've, the first one is lead rotation, which is all, well, it's actually about lead balancing, isn't it, Ian? Correct. So it, it not only rotates the leads, Craig, but also balances balances it amongst the team to make sure there's an equal spread across the sales team, which is actually very interesting. And we covered that in episode 146. There's also internal notifications. We've mentioned that actually in just previous episodes, but they get more sophisticated. So you start getting internal notifications going on your Slack channel. So you're getting SMS notifications of a deal closing. 
And then you're also getting internal notifications, perhaps of return visitors that show high intent engagement. So this is the kind of advanced kind of workflow and processes that uh, we typically see in larger corporates. Correct. And we spoke about one in the last show, which was a workflow that someone had previously had a deal and had visited the website recently and they get put in a call queue for someone in sales or their account manager call up. So that was a, another one that worked really well. The next one would be to about repeating annual workflow nurtures. Now, that's a really good one that people yeah. often forget. I think a lot of people don't realize that there's three main types of workflows. You've got the standard ones, but then you've also got um, date-based ones as well. And then you can also create um, recurring um, anniversary ones. Anniversary ones. But then when it comes to date-based, that's often when you get webinar workflows. Yes. We've had large corporates come and say, oh, look, we're running all these webinars. We're like, oh, okay, how are you bringing in? How are you following them up? They don't realize they can integrate, say, go to webinar or Zoom or that straight into HubSpot, set up a workflow, date-based workflow around the webinar so you can do pre the webinar um, promotions and post-webinar follow-ups, all that kind of thing, all within workflows. So that's why we call it an advanced workflow. It's not particularly complex, but they're uncommon that we find, easy to set up and very powerful. And Craig, the last one is something that you love doing is a parent and child recurring, or should we say looping, workflow. Yeah, that's right. Very advanced here. This whole idea of, say, a daily email going out and just putting that into a loop two workflows in place there, a parent that basically kicks it off, the child does it and then feeds back to the parent. You just have these looping workflows that can send out emails daily uh, based on different criteria. So very powerful. We covered that back in episode 153. So yeah, one of my favorites there. All right. On to our inside of the week, Craig. Going to call this the flogging a car analogy. (laughs) Nothing like flogging an analogy to death, is there? (laughs) All right. And for many corporates, they don't know how to drive properly. And I think I've explained this to people it's like having a really nice car that goes really fast, but you can't drive it. Can't drive or it's stuck in first gear. That's right. And so look, the analogy, folks, is HubSpot is your Tesla or whatever. We, we, you know, here's the funny thing. We're trying to figure, where, where what car would you make HubSpot? I know. The, we kind of started it, with- uh, Is it the Audi or is it the BMW? Or what yeah, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's, went- it, it's not the Ferrari. It's not quite, no, it's not the Ferrari and it's not the AMG. Not the AMG, yeah. Because that's hand-built engines. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think a Tesla is actually quite a good analogy, Craig. I would say that's pretty much on par. The aesthetics are nice. And it's kind of, I mean, you can't really drive it around first gear, but, uh, you know, you, you get the analogy. Here's, here's why we call flogging in a, in a car analogy. But, yeah, it's this point, like, you've got this beautiful engine or machine to use, and for many corporates, they just yeah they're just using the basics and i think the part of the reason we're saying this and putting this is in inside of the week is really to let you know it's kind of the norm we go in there's not many companies we go in and we go wow this is a really sophisticated implementation of hubsite they're very basic some of them haven't even got parts the basics and some i'm sad to say don't even have the basics like we've seen corporate enterprise accounts where they don't even have the tracking script on the website Correct. This happens more often than you'd think, listeners. So, listeners, part of it is don't feel despondent if you haven't used it to its full. You're not alone. But please let this episode be, um, I guess, a reminder to get some of these things in place and take advantage of it. So I think what we want to say is that to take full use of your machine, there are a few factors. Like we were discussing earlier, Craig, 
if you have a nice machine that is fast, so a Tesla has ludicrous mode, for example, you've got to know how what buttons to press to, to activate that, right? And then you've got to understand what it's going to do to you once you press the accelerator. And so that's one. So you need to be equipped to drive it. So I would say, have you done advanced driver trainings or have you done advanced HubSpot training? Do you understand what's going on? B, how often do you actually drive and really get the feel of what's going on with the car? Another one. I've got another one to flog this analogy. Doesn't Tesla send out updates? It like, does over the air updates. Over the air updates, and sort of like you've got to stay up to date with the updates. That's exactly right. And you can't say, I don't like that update. Let's roll it back. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't like the way the screen looks today. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think it's also being adaptive and having the ability to change. And oh, by the way, we didn't cover adaptive testing. Adaptive Enterprise testing, feature. there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. And also the other thing I would like to say, Craig, is like, so in Tesla, there are the things that need to be replaced. There's no oil to replace, right? But the things that they do replace are tires, pretty consumable, tires, brakes, right? Now, again, you could go, and I see this often with cars. You know how I love cars. And I, I often go to my mechanics and I look at different cars and I see what's going on. And it amazes me the number of people that have nice cars then put cheap brakes and cheap tires on them. Mm. And they don't understand that that's the only thing between them and the road and the only thing that's going to stop them when they're going really fast, right? Not that we can go super fast, unlike our friends in Germany who can <laughs> got the autobahn. Go the extra. and uh, Or have Mustangs, you know? <laughs> so I, I always think like having really good parts on your car and putting genuine parts in there is really important because they will then perform the way they were designed to perform. So are you referring to the people who buy HubSpot, but then they don't want to go over their contact limit, so they, they farm out a whole bunch of contacts to market. That's right. Or they set, up, they set up another account in another service provider yeah. and decide that they're going to use that to save some yeah, right. money. But that's not even it. So I think that people need to have a think that if they've got this really nice car, how do I utilize it and maximize the performance? And what do you need to do on your team to help people on that journey? And here's a little example of how we have helped people. And I think you've done the same is that we don't need to jump in at the deep end straight away. HubSpot has given people a path to start somewhere, to start it free and work your way through starter, professional, and then onto enterprise. So I'd encourage you Take that path, take those little steps, implement, maximize that version, then move to the next and so on. Yeah, look, I, I agree. You've got to walk before you can run. And I think that's what we're saying. It start with episode 227. That's where we started with the basics. Correct. Small business, then 228 and 229 were the pro features. And then hopefully in today's episode, some more advanced features. But look, have we flogged that car analogy enough? I think we have. Craig. I think we, we, got a, we got the maximum <laughs> flogging out. You know what, I'd, I'd love listeners to write to us and tell us what cars they've got. And, and by the way, can you tell that I, I don't know much about cars? <laughs> I know you're a real car. Uh, you're, you're a real fan, but yeah. So listeners, uh, if you're listening to this show, please uh, tweet or on Instagram, let us know what car you've got. Well, no, let us know what car analogy we missed. That's right. Well, that's how good. could we have made that car analogy even, yeah, pumped a few more, few more examples out of that? Off the ludicrous mode, Craig. Now on to HubSpot support shout-out. <laughs> yeah, just a quick one. I alluded to this last episode. I had an issue with the customer report builder. Yes. Ask support. I put a screenshot here so you can just t- see the time stamps. You know, I put it in late at night. 
send in a Loom. I actually recorded a Loom video of my issue. So poor old support have to sit through a Loom video of me explaining it all, you know. Uh, but yeah, next morning comes back with an answer. By the way, they, they actually said, look, it's a bug. It's a known issue. So I wasn't doing anything wrong. But as a workaround, big shout out to Rada. She created another report for me in the normal builder, giving me everything that I wanted. How good is that? How good is that? That's like, and the, and the very next morning, and, this, and here's a link, she built it in my portal. I was like, that's exactly what I need. Now, let's go back to my car analogy, right? Okay. Here is the difference between buying a car. Oh, Tesla support right there. That's <laughs> right. Because they have actually fixed, solved your problem and they've taken your pain away, right? And you would discover this with good cars is that if you know the person that's going to service it or the mechanic and they understand the machine, they know exactly what to do to solve your problem, right? And this is exactly what HubSpot support I love HubSpot support. I know I've said this before on the show, uh, to my shame, that I often send something to support thinking, oh, they probably won't know. In my arrogance, I totally admit this is my arrogance. I'm just like, oh, look, they probably won't know. And they come back and I learn stuff from support. I'm just like, they're so good. They're so good. All right, Craig, on to our resource of the week. And there's something interesting you were sharing with me about Joe Biden's digital team approach. Yeah, this is an article in New York Times where they break down his approach. He didn't go for the uh, the shock and um, horror. horror, you know, campaigns where you really try and bag out your opponent. He went for the feel-good, unite uh, thing. And so they broke down some of the choices he made around some of the influences that he decided to work with, who he was targeting. Facebook moms was one of them. And then also just some interesting tactical decisions, for example, around the videos. They found in their testing that the slick videos people weren't responding to. So they did a lot. They engaged like just indie filmmakers to make you know, very kind of um, candid, candid videos and they worked really well yes. and they targeted them to spe- a special demographics. So all around targeting, knowing the persona, the messaging, a very clever, you know, and well, these are big political campaigns. Trump's campaign manager also equally clever and very sophisticated. Yes. Although of course, in a very different kind of approach. So I think this is really interesting for marketers to look at. When you look at elections, I'm like, does it get much bigger than that in terms of spend and tactics and targeting and that? No. So have a look at what Joe Biden did. And I'd love to see a breakdown of Trump's as well. You know so- what was interesting over the period? You were talking about Noah Kagan before, and he did something on YouTube where he broke down their both their campaigns over YouTube, looked at landing pages, looked at the kind of ads they were running. It was fascinating. So I would recommend go have a look at that YouTube video and then read this article. It's fascinating. All right, Craig, on to the quote of the week. You locally reverse entropy. That's why you're here. All right. I've been re- reading the almanac of uh, Naval Ravikant, who I love, Naval. And do you, do you follow him on Twitter? I, I just. No, you introduced me to him, actually. Yeah, he's, so, he's such a smart, considered thinker. The almanac is put together by someone else, but it's just kind of a collection of his wisdom. This quote comes from it, where he's talking, he's got a section on happiness. Yes. And he's talking about basically. Being happy, being in the moment and yep. being... Anyway, this quote, you locally reverse entropy. I just love that. That's why you're here. So entropy, of course, is that process chaos. going towards chaos. And yes. so your your purpose here is to stop chaos and bring together a bit of order in your little, your little part of the world. That's why you're here, Ian. Did you know that? Thanks, Craig. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, are, there is one bonus link of the week, Craig. Super tiny icons. Did you see this on GitHub? No. All the, there's hundreds of them. 
Well, we've just got a screenshot that has some of them with, this, you know, the social icons Correct. to Facebook. Look how small they are. That's in bytes. There's the Twitter logo, 414 bytes. Oh, wow. Someone have put together these little logos, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, you can now you need to tell me how to use it, Craig. <laughs> I just grab them on GitHub. <laughs> and put it where? Well, you, you can just download and access, access these. I know. All oh, right. Just <laughs> Sorry, what were you asking? <laughs> I was trying to find a use for them, Craig. That's why. Oh, right. So, oh, a use for where? Yes. Well, on a website. I know, I know. <laughs> you're just trolling me now. You're, you're, you're creating entropy here. <laughs> Chaos is ensuing. Anyway, listeners, this is the end of our show. I'd love you to share with somebody. Leave us a review. We love reading the reviews of everybody. And please connect with Craig and myself on LinkedIn. And please send us a message that you listen to the show. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and marketing resources, sign up at HubShots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.